With that, I want to jump into the message today. I'm very excited because we're starting a new series today on the working of the Holy Spirit called The Helper. Our series is entitled The Helper, and we are an Assembly of God church. We are what we call a Pentecostal church. Now, a Pentecostal church is basically a term that was coined based out of Acts chapter number two. And we're going to read this here in just a moment, but Acts chapter number two is the chapter in scripture where we see the Holy Spirit descending upon the first believers. They spoke in tongues as evidence that the Holy Spirit had been given to them, and that happened on the day of Pentecost. And Pentecost was a celebration of the harvest in the Jewish culture. And so it's a term that we have taken because of the event. And we, as a Pentecostal church, believe that the Holy Spirit just works, still continues to work in the lives of individuals and in the church today. Now, can we be honest? I grew up in a Pentecostal church. My first experience in church was when I was in third grade, and I experienced, uh, the first church experience I have was in a Pentecostal church. And the first time I went, I had no idea what was going on. How many of you had a similar experience? The first time you were ever in a Pentecostal church, you said, I don't know what is going on. I am very confused right now. Absolutely, hands are going up all over the place. There was a lot of us that shared those same experiences. I was so blessed at the church that I was saved at. Like I said, I was in third grade, and by the providence of God, my friend in third grade was the son of the worship leader at South Aiken Church of God. Cool fact about South Aiken Church of God, it was located on Whiskey Road. No joke, every church in, the, in, in South Aiken was on Whiskey Road. I don't know if that's because the preaching was good or bad, I'm not sure, but it was on Whiskey Road. And I, I loved and cherished that heritage so much because that church was a church that you saw the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work. People got saved in that church. People got healed in that church. One time there was a gentleman that we were family friends with that he had a condition that put him in a wheelchair. He literally got up out of that wheelchair one morning during worship. Discipleship happened at that church. There was the gifts of the Spirit at that church. And as I was thinking, reflecting this week, preparing perhaps the most important evidence of the Holy Spirit's work was the sanctification of the saints in that church. Because the leadership of that church, I looked back a while, a while ago on their Facebook page, and what was amazing is that so many of the leaders that I remember 20-something years ago were still there serving and still honoring God with their life. There was some fruit there of some men who, and women who said, we love Jesus, we want God to work through us, and they're still serving today. And you cannot say that about a lot of churches, that the leadership stayed and maintained their following and their call to God. So this is the heritage, if you will. This is the church tradition that I grew up in. And then when we moved to Oklahoma, we landed in an Assembly of God church, uh, Woodward First Assembly, which was also a Pentecostal church. And so this is all I've ever known. All I've ever known was a Pentecostal heritage. And I've seen God do unbelievable things through the power of the Holy Spirit. Those, those manifestations of God from time to time would leave you just questioning, what in the world did I just see? Because there's no way to explain it. If you start looking at different testimonies, you look at people who, who have experienced the presence of God, sometimes there are things that have happened that are just short of miraculous that you can't explain with the human reasoning. However, if you understand how the Holy Spirit works and you understand the manifestation of the Spirit of God, it's not unbelievable because the Scripture says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. 
And today we're going to cover a lot of scripture. You need to be ready. There's going to be a lot that we're going to cover, but I want to read to you one passage in Romans chapter number eight, just to kind of prime the pump, if you will. Romans number, chapter number eight, starting verse number nine, it says this. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. There's some credible power there. Life-changing power in that passage of Scripture. What Paul is trying to explain to us and show us is that the moment you get saved, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of you. And there's power in that Spirit living inside of you. And here's what you need to understand this morning. The Holy Spirit is real. The Holy Spirit is active. The Holy Spirit is living inside of us as believers, and that reality is empowering. Now, you might have been coming here for a while, and you have some questions about the Holy Spirit. This might be completely new to you. You don't understand all the terms. You have no idea what's going on. You might have questions like, who is the Holy Spirit? Does the Holy Spirit live in me? What does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? What's the deal with people praying in tongues? What are the gifts of the Spirit? How are they supposed to operate what, what's going on? Sometimes I don't understand. Do I lose control if the Holy Spirit comes on you? These are all questions that have been asked to me as a pastor throughout my tenure in ministry. These are all questions that perhaps you've had or have been asked to you. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to be answering a lot of those questions. We're going to be looking at the person of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to see how the Holy Spirit intends to operate in the life of the believer and in the body of Christ, which is the church. Now, before I begin, I have to give some disclaimers to kind of set some parameters for this series. The first is this. This series, this message is literally a series. And outside of this first message, we're going to be looking primarily at the Holy Spirit in the work of public worship. This first message, the one we're going to be dealing with today, is going to be talking about the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And then over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit in public worship according to Scripture. The second thing I need to tell you is this, is that you need to be here for the whole series. I, I try to make my messages stand alone, meaning if you show up for week one and week three, you don't miss a whole lot. But unfortunately, with this series, it doesn't really work that way. There's one message builds upon the other. And so I'd encourage you, if you can't be here one week, try to catch up if you can online. You can watch on Facebook Live or you can go to our website. We are actively working on making the podcast work. Um, if you get on our website, you can actually listen to the sermons. You don't have to watch it. You can listen to it. Uh, you can also get it on Google Play. And hopefully very soon we'll be verified on Apple uh, iTunes. So you can listen to podcasts that way as well. It could go up at any time. We've already submitted it. We're just waiting for approval. So there's that. Finally, I also want you to know my heart in this series, my heart as a pastor. When I was doing some studying and research, a realization hit me. For some of you, as I present the scripture, as I understand it, I'm going to be too charismatic for you. You're going to say, 
that's too much for me. I'm not sure I can go along with you to this. It doesn't completely make sense to me. I'm not sure I'm there yet. And I want you to know that that's okay because I believe that the Holy Spirit illuminates our hearts and leads us into truth. That's what Jesus says that one of the works of the Holy Spirit is going to do in your life. There's others of you that are going to hear me talk and you say, I don't know if you're charismatic enough. I think you're being too conservative. And I want you to know that's okay too. As I was studying, what I realized is that there is a wide gulf in the church world today. And so many of us have grown up under different heritages and different backgrounds. And so we've experienced and we have seen different things. There's some that are way over here that are very conservative. And there's some way over here that are very um, charismatic in their worship. And here's what I want you to know. That as a church, we believe in the power and the working of the Holy Spirit. But as a pastor, I also believe that the Holy Spirit leads us and teaches us and leads us into all truth. And what I'm going to present to you and over this next series is Scripture word for word. And I'm going to be building upon Scripture, and I hope that it illuminates your heart. So I say all that to say this. Be prepared to read a lot of passages of Scripture. These messages are going to be full of Scripture. It's going to be like drinking from a fire hose from time to time. I apologize about that on the front end, but you need to take some notes so that you can study it up for yourself because I never want you to take my word for it. I want you to study the Word. I want you to pray God reveal it to you so that it comes alive for your own heart. Never take my word for it. So with that, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into this. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to study your word. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you've given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you can work through us and in us. Lord, we thank you that you did not leave us as orphans, but that you came to dwell among us. Lord, I pray today that you'd open up the scripture to our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Please forgive me for drinking this tea. Remember two weeks ago I said that this was the terriblest tasting stuff I've ever drank in my life? I didn't lose my voice the whole time uh, when I was drinking this. Last week, I didn't drink this. I lost my voice. So I see a correlation there. So even though this is terrible, never drink tea. I'm going to drink it today. So please forgive me for that. All right. We need to start with a question. And this question is this. Who is the Holy Spirit? Before we can even begin to study the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, we need to understand who the Holy Spirit is to begin with. Jesus tells us in John 16, 7, who the Holy Spirit is. Jesus is speaking. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The Holy Spirit is nothing short than God himself living in your life. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of God, is the helper sent from God to the individual Christian, to the individual believer following God. The Bible teaches us that our God is three in one. The term that we use is the Trinity. And what that means is that God is one God with three distinct beings, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. They are not three separate gods. They are one God and three persons. They are same in essence and in will and in attribute. The best analogy that we can even begin to use to wrap our mind around this is water, ice, and steam, right? They're all made of the same essence, the same components. It's all made of H2O, but they're in three distinct forms. 
And that's kind of the way that the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and God the Son, Jesus, work. And so what Jesus is teaching us in this passage, in context, he's telling the disciples, look, the Father has sent me to die on the cross and then rise again and to bring his kingdom to earth. That's what we were to pray. He says, now I'm going back to the Father, but this is for your benefit, Now, this would have been shocking to the disciples because they had been living with Jesus for three years, and now Jesus is telling them, I'm going to the cross and I'm going to die, but this is for your benefit. Why is it for your benefit? Because he says, when I get to heaven, I'm going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you. It is for your benefit that the Holy Spirit resides inside of us and operates inside of us because that's the Spirit of Christ inside of us. I read you the verse a moment ago in Romans where it tells us that the Spirit dwells in us, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And what this teaches us is that the Holy Spirit is the agent of God working on earth right now. So Jesus is telling us, he says, I'm going back to the Father, but this is for your good because now the Holy Spirit is living inside of us. See, this is keeping Jesus' promise that he would never leave us. He would never forsake us. He would never abandon us. Jesus is keeping his promise because his spirit, the Holy Spirit, now dwells inside of us. In Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, after Jesus has rose from the dead, he's about to ascend into heaven, and he's speaking to his disciples for one last time while on earth. And he tells them this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so now Jesus is going to fulfill his promise We have the account of the first time the Holy Spirit fell on the believers on the day of Pentecost. And here's what that event was. The very next page in your Bible, Acts chapter number 2, starting in verse number 1, it says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So Jesus tells the disciples before he goes to the cross, it's for your benefit that I go to my Father because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He dies for sins. He raises from the dead. And he appears to the disciples. He's with them for 40 days. And he says, I'm about to go to the Father, but you are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit falls on you. And so then he ascends to heaven and the disciples go and they begin to pray. There's 120 in the upper room. And what we experience, excuse me, what they experienced was what we know as the day of Pentecost, the start of the church in this passage in Acts 2, where the Holy Spirit falls upon them, empowers them, baptizes them, and they began to speak in other tongues as evidence that the Holy Spirit has now empowered and baptized them. They are empowered in this moment. We call this the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and this is the moment that launches the church into what we know as the church history. Right after this infilling of the Holy Spirit, a crowd is formed because they hear the 120 in the upper room praising God in their own language. And Peter stands up and he gives a sermon of salvation. And here's what happened at the end of that message. Verse number 37 in Acts 2 says, it says, Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? 
And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and your children, all who are far off, and everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So here's what Peter is saying. He's saying Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would now dwell with us, and this reality has now happened. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is living in and among us. That's what you're seeing. That's what you're experiencing. And he quotes the uh, prophet Joel. And now, in this moment, these people are cut to the heart, and he tells them, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sin, and you too will receive the Holy Spirit. This is a promise that's been given for you and for your children and everyone who is far off. And here's the truth that we need to understand at this church today. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the power of God sustaining us and carrying us and empowering us to do what God has called us to do. And that's the big idea of this message. The Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is active. And the Holy Spirit is living in and among you. Okay, no amens on that one. I'm going to get a drink right there. Thank you, Charity. My wife, she's always got my back. This single truth leads us, though, often to many questions. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you have a ton of questions. And then in this message, I'm going to try to answer as many of those questions as possible by sharing with you five biblical truths of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. There are five things that I believe that we need to understand this morning, five biblical truths, if you will, of the Holy Spirit in regards to the life of every believer as we walk this out as Pentecostal Christians. And I hope through the process of sharing these truths with you, that it helps answer some of your questions. But if it doesn't, there's a good chance that I'm going to answer them in the rest of this series. And so I want to encourage you to be a part. But even then, after this series, if I don't answer all of your questions, please feel free to come ask me at any time. And we'll do the best we can to give you the answers that you need. Five truths that we need to know as believers. The first one is this. Believers are temple of the Holy Spirit. Believers are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, a temple is a place where the presence of God dwells. The scripture declares to us that when a person surrenders their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, that person becomes a temple, a dwelling place, a place of residence for the Holy Spirit. I want to read you three scriptures. The first is in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, verses 19 and 20 say this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, you are brought with a price, so glorify God with your body. Romans 8 chapter, Romans chapter number 8 verse number 9 says this, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. What that verse is saying is, if you're saved, then the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. If you're not saved, then the Holy Spirit is not dwelling in you. It's confirming what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Then 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, verse 13 says, For in one spirit you are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink in one spirit. So here's what these three of many scriptures are teaching us, and it's a very important truth. That is this. When you're saved, you become a temple, a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit takes up residency inside of your heart. God is with you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then he lives inside of you. Now catch this. When God is living inside of you, something is going to happen in your life. 
If God and if the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, then there should be some fruit of that, uh, of that truth inside of your heart. The Bible shows us that there are two types of truth, or excuse me, two types of fruit that show up in the believer's life. The first is fruit of the Spirit. The second is the power of the Spirit. You can read about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter number five, and you need to read it in context because he says, in your old way of life, you lived according to the flesh, and here's all the things that you would do according to the flesh. And he starts listing off all these sins. He says, but you're no longer in the flesh. Walk and keep in step with the Spirit, bearing fruit of the Spirit. Then he starts listing off all the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, right? I hope you caught all that. When you're saved... The Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of your heart. There should be fruit. And then you read in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, and we're going to cover this in a later series, that there are gifts of the Spirit that take up residency inside of your heart as well, that, that God places gifts inside of you. And for our purposes today, here's what I want you to catch. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of your heart. God is with you, and there should be evidence of Jesus living in and with you. Your life should be different post-salvation than pre-salvation, meaning I should walk in one way on day one, and after I experience and have an encounter with Jesus, my life should be different on day two and every day thereafter. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is inside of me, changing me from the inside out. He's regenerating me. He's making me into a new creation. Scripture shows us that anytime the presence of God dwells somewhere, something happens. When you look through Scripture, let's go all the way to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. God walked with man. However, man, Adam and Eve, sinned, and they were driven from the presence of God. That was part of the punishment. They were now in isolation. They were on their own. But God did not want to stay separated. So much later, he told Moses to build a tabernacle, a tent that his presence would dwell inside of it. God dwelt inside of that tabernacle. Then, many years later, God commanded the people to build a permanent structure, the temple, and God's presence dwelt in that building. Then something very interesting happened at the birth of Jesus. The presence of God dwelt in flesh because Jesus was and is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so for the first time since the creation, God did not dwell in a building built by human hands, but rather he dwelled in flesh in and among people. So when Jesus said, it is better for you that I return to the Father, the reason is, is now the Holy Spirit can dwell inside of us. You may remember reading in your Bible when Jesus was on the cross that the scripture says the temple veil was ripped from top to bottom. It was ripped symbolizing that the presence of God no longer dwells inside of a temple built by human hands, but now dwells inside of people and things happened. When we read in scripture, everywhere the presence of God was, things happened. In the temple, the presence of God showed up, things happened. When Jesus walked on earth, things happened. So when you get saved and the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of your heart, things should happen. Your sanctification and your empowerment. The first thing you need to see is this, is that, the Holy, that believers are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The second thing is this, that the Holy Spirit's work should be expected and should be active in the life of a believer. The Holy Spirit's work should be expected and should be active in the life of a believer. When you read through the book of Acts, what you'll see is that the work of the Spirit was expected, and the Holy Spirit was active in the life of the New Testament believers. Therefore, the work of the Holy Spirit should be normative today. 
Now, we need to do a little bit of terminology right here. There are, this is where many different denominations and Christians part ways. They, they have a hard time agreeing on these next two things I'm about to share with you. There are two beliefs and the work of the Holy Spirit, the continuationist and the cessationist. Those are two fancy words that basically mean this. The continuationists believe that the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is still available and should be sought after today. The cessationists believe that the manifestation of the Holy Spirit ended with the first believers when the Scripture was canonized. Now, we don't have time to get into all the nuances of that today, but I want to tell you this. We are a continuationist church. We believe that the Holy Spirit's work is still active in the life of a believer. Why do we believe that? Well, there are several reasons. The first is this. When you look at Scripture, nothing says that the work of the Holy Spirit ended with the disciples. In fact, opposite is true. I read to you at the day of Pentecost how Peter said that the promise of the Holy Spirit was for the people there, for their children, and for all far off. There was a a generational promise, if you will, given in that moment. Additionally, we see second-generation believers in the book of Acts with spiritual gifts. As an example, we see in the book of Acts Philip's daughters who are called prophets. There was a second generation of believers. We even know about Timothy, who Paul said that, uh, that gifts were given to him by the laying on of the hands and that he was a fan into flame those gifts. Those are just some examples of how the Holy Spirit was working, not just in the first generation of believers, but through on to the second generation. And those are good enough examples for us to believe that the Holy Spirit still works today. But I think there's even a better example and a better scripture to show us that the Holy Spirit is still living and active. And that is this, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. We read this scripture all the time, but I think it's very relevant to the work in the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 4, 12 says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, the joints of the morrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is living and active. It's still doing a work in your hearts. Have you ever been reading a passage of Scripture and as you read it, you felt like it came alive and just hit you right where you were at? As you're reading this Scripture, it's like this is exactly what I needed in this moment. This is exactly what I needed God to do in me right now. How is it possible that a book that's been around for 2,000 years seems to come alive to you? It's because the Holy Spirit illuminates your heart to that truth. And that's exactly what Jesus told us would happen. John 14, 26. He said, but the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all I said to you. What he was saying is, he says, the Holy Spirit will illuminate your heart to the words that I've spoken to you. And what were the words that he spoke to the disciples? It was the things that they went and they wrote down that we still have today. And what this shows us is that the Holy Spirit is still active in our life. The teaching that the Holy Spirit rest upon believers for all generations, is not just a New Testament teaching. It's also an Old Testament teaching. The Old Testament prophets prophesied that the work of the Holy Spirit would first happen in the Messiah and then in the life of the believers. The prophet Isaiah actually wrote about three scriptures, three passages saying that the Holy Spirit would dwell and anoint the Messiah, who was Jesus Christ. I want to read one of them to you. Isaiah 61, starting in verse number one, it says, The Spirit of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor and to send 
me to the bind of the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is a prophecy that was written about Jesus that Jesus himself read in Luke, I think it's chapter number four. And he says, this is what is being fulfilled in your day. The Holy Spirit anointed Jesus at his baptism, and Jesus operated in the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish what his father sent him to do. The result of the Messiah's work was that the Holy Spirit would then live inside of his people. Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 26, says this, and I will give you a new heart. He's speaking about us. I will give you a new heart. A new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and to be careful to obey my rules. Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 28 through 30, this is the scripture that Peter quotes on the day of Pentecost. He says this, and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. And so we see the New Testament teaching being prophesied in the Old Testament, this twofold pattern. The Holy Spirit rested upon Jesus, and then Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit on believers, and this is confirmed because John the Baptist told us that this would happen. He said, I saw the Spirit descend upon Jesus, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Thus, Jesus ushered in the age of the Spirit, and nothing in Scripture says that that has ended. And so the Holy Spirit is still living and he's active in the life of believers. And we as Christians need to be in tune with what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives and through our lives. We don't have the power to change ourselves. You ever thought about that? Like we have these bad habits that we try to kick sometimes and we can't do it. I try to eat pretty good and Mimi keeps going and buying cookies and she hides them, but I know where they're hidden. I have no willpower for that. That's what he was saying in Ezekiel. He said, I'm going to remove your heart of stone from your flesh, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh so that you can live according to my statutes. He said, I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. The Holy Spirit's the one that regenerates you and renews you. Joel said, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all people, and they're going to prophesy, and they're going to see dreams, and they're going to see visions. What he's saying is not only the Holy Spirit going to change you from the inside, but he's going to empower you to do the work that God has for you. Only the Holy Spirit is the answer for the addiction. Only the Holy Spirit is the answer for someone in bondage. Only the Holy Spirit is the answer for someone in need of salvation. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us. Now, I want to give you a reference. We don't have time to to dive into a whole bunch of this today, but in case you want to do some studying. The Assemblies of God, our denomination that we're a part of, our fellowship. If you Google Assemblies of God position papers, you can find a list of things that, that we have a stand on. You can do that there. And I want to encourage you in the meantime, because you might have some questions to refer to that. There's one question that I get all the time that I need to, to answer and is this. People ask me, do I have to speak in tongues in order to be used by God? And the answer is, is no, you do not. Even if you have not spoken in tongues, that does not mean that you cannot be used by God. 
because you've been baptized into the body of Christ. That's what the first Corinthians chapter number 12, verse 13 says. It says, for in one spirit, we've all been baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. And so when you read the whole uh, passage in context, again, this is in a few weeks, we'll cover this. But for today, understand this, is that we are a part of the body of Christ. And as such, we can be used in the body of Christ. And when you're baptized into the body of Christ, you are given a gift. You have a role to play in the body. And so as a result, we all need each other and we all need to be active in that. And what 1 Corinthians tells us is to continue to seek the greater gifts, continue to seek more experience and more work of the Holy Spirit inside of your life. And if you need, please, like I said, refer to the position paper until we get there to answer some of that questions. Now, we need to pause right here and I want want to show you something. We have just read a mountain of Scripture, and we're about to read another mountain of Scripture. You might be thinking, okay, this is, this is legitimately like drinking from a fire hose. I don't, I don't understand all this. Why, you're throwing a lot at me. I'm not sure I'm comprehending it. Here's what I want you to understand. When you start looking at the first believers, I just showed you how they built their theology based upon the Old Testament. And this is very important for us to understand as Pentecostal believers, because as Pentecostal believers, we tend to uh, experience the presence of God more. But what we see from the first believers is that they did not build their theology based upon their experiences. They built their theology based upon the word of God. And so we as Pentecostal believers, we have to always make sure that we're building our theology upon the word of God, and we have to make our experiences match up to the word of God. When we get out of sync there, then we know we're off. Why? Because the Holy Spirit inspired this book. The Holy Spirit wrote this book. And this is the book. And this is the pattern that the Holy Spirit wants us to follow. And we see that the first believers did that. They had this understanding. They had this theology based upon Scripture. And that's how they lived out. And we have to do the same thing. And so even though I'm giving you a lot today, the reason why I'm giving you a lot is because I want you to have a firm foundation. Something that you can study up on. Something that you can read up on. Something that you can apply to your life. First, the believers are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Second, the work of the Holy Spirit should be expected and active in the life of the believer. And third, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not only an event, but it is a lifestyle. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not only an event, but it is a lifestyle. I've referenced that we're in Assemblies of God Church, and in the Assemblies of God, we have uh, the doctrinal statement that we call the 16 Fundamental Truths. And what we say by that is there's 16 things that we believe that we should hold on to according to Scripture. Number seven and eight deal with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues as the evidence of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In short, what it says is this, is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a separate event from salvation. And based upon the pattern of the book of Acts, we believe that when a person receives that, that they're going to speak in tongues as evidence of receiving that second experience. If you read the position paper that I referenced a second ago, it says that we call this inductive logic, meaning we look at the pattern and we say this pattern is how God intends for us to live. Now, here's what I want you to understand, that I believe with all my heart, in reference to the work and the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our life. Yes and more. And here's what I mean by that. When you read the book of Acts, the disciples did not stop their spiritual formation at speaking in tongues. When you see uh, the people and the believers in the book of Acts, you will see them being referenced to being spirit-filled over and over and over and over again. And what that tells us is, is that being a spirit-filled believer is not a status. It is not going through an event. It is about living a lifestyle. 
The scripture references multiple times the apostles and the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, with that, I want to read you a bunch of scripture. And I want you to see, I'm not going to read them all in context. I just want you to notice how many times the words filled with the Holy Spirit are mentioned. All right, we've already read Acts 2, 4, where it says they're in an upper room and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Tongues of fire rest while they spoke in tongues, and the Spirit gave the utterance, right? Acts 4, 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Acts 4, 31. And they prayed, and the place where they were gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Acts 7, 55. But he, speaking of Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And speaking of Barnabas in Acts eleven twenty four, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Acts thirteen nine. But Paul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him. Acts thirteen fifty two. And the disciples were all filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. These infilling moments, the Holy Spirit's manifestation on the life of the believers, brought multiple ways and multiple looks out the book of Acts. When you read these passages in context, what you're going to see is that these manifestations of the Spirit and those infilling moments were, not, were included and did not limit to only tongues, but it was also tongues and prophecy, healing, miracles, generosity, witnessing, church discipline, and even martyrdom. Sometimes being full of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean I get to speak in tongues. In the case of Stephen, it meant that he got to die for the gospel. For Barnabas, being full of the Holy Spirit didn't mean that he only got to prophesy or see a miracle. It meant that he got to sell everything he had and brought it and gave it to those in need. Being full of the Holy Spirit for Peter and John didn't just mean that they spoke in tongues and prophesied to the people and gave uh, sermons. It meant that they got their backs beaten. And then filling the Holy Spirit is not just an event in the life of a Christian, the lifestyle. And this goes with what Jesus told the woman at the well in John 4. He said, rivers of living water would flow from a believer. I'm very passionate about this because what this teaches us is that if we stop at an event, or we stop at one gift, then we are robbing ourselves of the fullness of what it means to live a Spirit-led lifestyle. Is the Holy Spirit indwelling at salvation? Absolutely. There's separate infilling moments of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. But if you stop at one event, you are robbing yourself of the lifestyle that God wants to bring to you. And you're robbing yourself of the opportunity to God work through you. The Holy Spirit is not a quaint, passive force in the life of a believer. The Holy Spirit, rather, is a dynamic power that did extraordinary things in the first believers that we see in Scripture. The Holy Spirit is not someone you believe in. The Holy Spirit is the agent of the Godhead walking with you and empowering you. And sometimes that dynamic power is giving a prophetic word, and other times it's dying to yourself and sacrificing for someone else. Sometimes that dynamic power is praying in the Spirit. Other times it's being generous. Sometimes that dynamic power is even being discipling someone or being discipled by someone love and encouraging a brother and sister. These are all things that we saw the Holy Spirit do in the life of the first believers. 
And I think at this point, it's important to take a note of caution because we like to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, but you have to understand when you look at Scripture and you look at these believers, the power of the Holy Spirit was not some big triumphal power in the life of the believers, but rather, and often, the power of the Holy Spirit was actually veiled in the weakness of the believers. Just as Jesus' power was, was veiled in the weakness of the cross, Paul talks about his power being veiled in weakness in 1 Corinthians 2, starting verse number 1, Paul said this, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony with lofty speech or with wisdom. For I decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not with plausible words of wisdom, but a demonstration of the Spirit and power so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. What Paul's saying, he said, when I came to you, I was in fear and trembling and weakness. I looked weak, but I didn't need to be strong because the Holy Spirit was strong inside of me. And this goes closely with the fourth thing I want to show you. The first is believers are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Second, the Holy Spirit's work should be expected and active in the life of a believer. And third, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not just an event, but a lifestyle. The fourth thing is this. The Spirit-led lifestyle is not primarily about church services. I read to you a long list of Scripture in the book of Acts, specifically mentioning moments of the feeling of the Spirit. What I want you to notice is that there are a couple instances where they're in what we would call a church service what I did not read to you is all the miracles and the movings of the Holy Spirit that did not mention the specific words filled with the Spirit. If you go read all those, a majority of what the Spirit's moving was in public and not in church service. And the reason why this is very important is this, is because God did not pour out His Spirit so that we alone could feel better. That is absolutely part of the process. But God poured out His Spirit so that we could accomplish His work. But you will have power to be my witnesses. And that's very important to understand that. Because if we're willing to allow the Holy Spirit to move on Sunday, but we're not willing to live for Him on Monday, we have missed the whole point. If we, don't, if we are willing to pray in the Spirit at the altar, but we're not willing to pray in the Spirit with our children, we've missed the point. If we're bold enough to have a prophetic word for somebody in the church, but we're not bold enough to share our faith with a coworker. We've missed the point. Should we get rid of these things? Of course not. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 14. But the point is that we have to have our priorities right. I used to use this illustration with my youth kids. Like I love, we'll go back to the Chewies reference, because I love Chewies, okay? Chewies is a great thing, right? The Mexican place, and you can go to Rogers, Tulsa. Uh, if you go, make sure you get the, the, the creamy jalapeno dip and the homemade tortillas, okay? They're fantastic. That is a really good thing. But if I eat that for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every single day for the rest of my life, what's going to happen? I'm going to get obese. That's what's going to happen because creamy jalapeno is not at the top of the food pyramid for healthy things to eat, right? It's going to be a detriment to my soul. I have to then go exercise it off a little bit. I've got to be active, in order so I can keep doing that. And here's what I truly believe that happens sometimes in Pentecostal churches. We take so many good things that God keeps giving us and we just keep consuming, consuming, consuming and we never live that out. We're never active in our faith and we get spiritually unhealthy. We have to live it out. 
We value being spirit-led to be a blessing. That's what I believe. That's my term, spirit-led to be a blessing, because everywhere I go or everywhere I see that the first believers went and they allowed the Holy Spirit to lead them, they were a blessing to whoever they came in contact with. What you will read in Scripture is that spirit-led believers were indeed a blessing everywhere they went. It's not primarily about what happens in here. It's about what happens out there. A lifestyle being spirit-led is allowing the Holy Spirit to dictate and guide you in every single step that you take. In the Bible, what you see about the first believers is that they were greatly aware that the Holy Spirit was with them. And the fruit of that leading was that they were always a blessing to everywhere that they went. They were a blessing. You know, I think about one of the gifts of the Spirit as I was studying. One of the gifts of the Spirit that's listed as generosity. You see this play out. I reference Barnabas. He sold his, uh, sold his field and brought the, the money to the church to help the poor people that needed it. And you think about a manifestation of the Spirit, generosity doesn't tend to go to the top of the list that you think about. However, I imagine for the single mother in Barnabas' church, that was the greatest manifestation she needed in that moment, in that time of need. Being Spirit-led and the manifestation of the Spirit are indeed life-changing. The manifestation of the Spirit in our life is life-changing because a lot of times it's contrary to what we desire as individuals. The Holy Spirit a lot of times will work in our life against what we want. How many of you have ever been there before, right? So when we're full of the Holy Spirit, we're allowing God to work. I want to close with this if the worship team wants to come back. The first thing you need to know is the believers are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Second is the Holy Spirit's work should be expected and active in the life of the believer. The third, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not just an event, but a lifestyle. The fourth is that a spirit-led lifestyle is not primarily about church services. And the fifth thing is this. The Holy Spirit is the only agent of God on earth. Acts chapter number 1, verse number 4 and 5 says this, And while staying with them, he, speaking of Jesus, ordered them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I want you to think about the significance of this. Jesus has just overcame death, hell, and the grave. And he tells the disciples to not begin the work of the kingdom until they receive the Holy Spirit. It seems mind-boggling, really, if you think about it. For the first time in human history, people can get saved. People can be set free. And Jesus says, I want you to put that on hold for just a little bit. Because I need you to go pray because you need the empowerment from the Holy Spirit. And what that tells us is this, is that right now, Jesus, according to Scripture, is in heaven at the right hand of God. Meaning that he's, he's there, he has all authority, he has all power, and the Scripture says he's interceding for us on our behalf. Meaning that the Holy Spirit, excuse me, rather that Jesus is praying for you and for me right now. He's interceding for us. And in his place, he has sent the Holy Spirit to live in and among us. The Holy Spirit is here. He indwells in your life. He empowers your life. And if we're ever going to be effective as a church, if you're ever going to be effective as a believer, then you have to be following the leading of the Holy Spirit. If you're ever going to allow Jesus to bring that sanctifying work to your life, 
It's going to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it on our own. It's the Holy Spirit's working inside of us. The regeneration of our hearts, the rejuvenation, the renewal of our hearts. If your marriage is ever going to be healed, it's only going to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's only going to be the Holy Spirit. Why? Because in the moment, the Holy Spirit reminds you of who Jesus was to you. In the moment, the Holy Spirit softens your heart. Remember what Ezekiel said. God said, I'm going to pull out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. For some of us, we've been in our dealings with our spouse. We've had a heart of stone. But the Holy Spirit wants to come in and put a heart of flesh there. The only way you're ever going to have your marriage healed is through the Holy Spirit. If you're ever going to produce fruit of a Christian life, it's going to be from the Holy Spirit. If you're ever going to raise your kids, it's only going to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because those kids are facing things that we don't understand. God, in his infinite wisdom, gave them free will. It's hard for us as parents because we don't know how to handle that sometimes. But the Spirit of God, the Spirit that knows the mind of Christ, lives inside of you. The Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. And He can give you wisdom and knowledge in those moments to know how to raise those kids. If you're going to witness to your coworker, it's only going to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't have all the answers in life, you don't have the knowledge, the wisdom to answer everybody's issues. You don't have the ability to soften a heart, but God can. The Holy Spirit through you can. That's why he said you need need the power of the Holy Spirit before you start. Why? Because you can't do it on your own. The greatest gift that God ever gave us and gave the church was the Holy Spirit. If you need healing, it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you need direction, it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the agent of God working on this earth. And let me tell you this, particularly those of us that have been in church for a while. Let's go back to that part where the Holy Spirit is a living, active lifestyle. I always found it strange when I read through the scripture. Here's Peter who was filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and then you flip over the next page, and it says, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And you flip over the next page, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what that tells me? That our desire for the Holy Spirit needs to be a continual thing at the forefront of our minds, the forefront of our lives, where we don't live off of what happened yesterday. We don't live off of the excitement of yesterday, but that every day we come and we lay our hearts bare before God and say, God, fill me afresh today. Fill me afresh today. Renew inside of my heart the working 